you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you who are here with us in person. Welcome to those of you who are joining us, joining us online, whether you're here in person or online, or maybe you're listening to the sermon later, maybe you're watching the video later. Uh, just know, whenever you're paying attention, whenever you're uh, part of the service that you were prayed for, cared for, and loved, before you showed up here today in person or before you turned on the screen. So we are so thankful. Uh, we had uh, just a great Good Friday and Easter weekend. I want to thank all of you who were part of the team that helped put the, um, the brunch together or part of the children's team to come bring everything together. Uh, so it was a great weekend and it's great to be able to come back after that and to start a brand new series together. So our series is called Belief and we're going to unpack um, some of the core beliefs of our faith. And part of the reason behind that is recognizing that uh, this past week, I um, ended up, uh, we got these things from Amazon, um, Pokemon cards for the girls. We each got them a separate pack for Easter because nothing says Happy Easter like, you know, small cards with monsters on them. It's, it's beautiful. So we ended up getting them a pack and it was one of those where it's like Easter, we got them like Steph, I should, we, like I did this. Steph got them some really cute dresses, Steph and got things planned, got some candy for them. And then we say, okay, well, open up your, your um, gift, your uh, Pokemon cards. And there was 20 cards that we got, and they were from uh, Amazon. So it was just like a random set. It wasn't like a prepackaged one. It was one that we had paid for uh, like six bucks to get like rare cards. And when we did that, I opened up Elise's, or she opened up hers. And out of like 25 cards or so, 20, 25 cards, there were seven that were the exact same. And then another one that was like five of the exact same. And so she only got like five or six actual different cards. And it did not emote the Easter spirit. And so um, it was a difficult moment for a little bit there. And like, I'm not, I'm not like a huge reviewer of things online. But I went online. I was like, this was really disappointing. Um, you know, this kind of was hard for our daughter because and I showed the picture. I'm like, there's a bunch of duplicates. And, you know, this, this, if I would not recommend someone buy this. Now, how many of you uh, have ever written a review? Maybe it's on Yelp. Maybe it's on Amazon for something you purchased. How many of you have written reviews before? Okay. Now, without, you, you don't need to raise your hands, but most of the time when we write a review, it's either because we had a fantastic experience somewhere, like this was over and above five stars, I want to be able to give it the best review possible, or it's when we have like an awful review, right? Like an awful experience. And we want other people to be aware that this was not what we had expected. And so when you look at Yelp, you look at things, it's like you'll see five-star percentages. There's more of those and one star. And then, you know, very rarely do people write a three-star. Like everything was just fine. Like that's not really something people would normally take the time to review. And I started looking at our reviews uh, that I'd written before. And it's like, yeah, it was really positive things or... or not so positive ones. And why I'm bringing this up is because for many people, 
We come off an Easter weekend. We come off a weekend where we are remembering Christ's death on Good Friday. We are celebrating his resurrection on Sunday. We had a, a great brunch together. We had community. We had people coming together, family members of, co of members who are coming and, and are able to experience church, and they don't often come. And, and it's a, great, a really great celebratory day. And yet, what ends up happening is that that very consistently, we see that uh, Christmas and Easter are kind of those main days that some people come to church that they normally won't. And here's the thing, I don't, I don't begrudge them. I don't, I'm grateful for any time we have the opportunity to share the gospel. For anyone who comes, we want them to know they're prayed for, cared for, and loved. We want them to know that we've fallen short of the glory of God. God made us good. He loves us. We blew it. Jesus paid for it, and we can receive him. And so I'm happy for the opportunity to share the gospel. But there are people who we know and love, whether it's family members, coworkers, friends, neighbors, that don't want to be a part of church. They don't want to be a part of following Jesus. And part of that reason is because they've had some bad interactions because sometimes all of us are broken, all of us fall short. But what can often happen is that we can become, people in general, can become more known for what they're against than what they're for. And so when you become more known for what you're against, there are things that are worthwhile getting, becoming upset about and, and for us to stand firm on the truth of God's word. I'm not, I'm not saying there isn't. But if people, th if you were to ask them, hey, what do you think a Christian is known for? Would they say, well, they're known for being loving and gracious and serving those who are, who are in need? Many of them would, right? Would they also say, you know, when you type into Google sometimes and you can have like the autofill of what says, if you start off years ago, people would write, why are Christians so? And the autofill, the, the searches that were the most frequent ones that people would get would be, would fill in the blank of so judgmental, so hateful, so this, so that. This is a, why are we talking about this? Because what we want to do over the next several weeks is to, Focus on what is it that we as Christians, what are we for? What is it that we believe? And going back to ancient history to see what is it that Christians from the very beginning of the church have believed about who God the Father is, about who Jesus Christ is, about the Holy Spirit, about the importance of church, and about everlasting life. What are those basic tenets? And letting us know, be equipped so that we can learn more and that we can be able to share what we're for so that when people interact with us, they don't give Christianity a one-star review, but they give a five-star to see, wow, this person's life was changed. Here's what they're for. I want to be part of that as well. So before we unpack the Apostles' Creed together in our new belief series, will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who is part of our service today, whether they're in person watching live online, listening to the podcast later, or watching the video later, God, I thank you that each person who hears my voice right now is someone, God, that you are the Almighty Father to, that you created, you breathed life into each person, that there is no one who hears my voice who is a mistake, and that everyone who hears my voice is loved by you. I pray that as we dive into your word that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us as we learn more about who you are, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So what I want to do is we're going to be in Psalm chapter 103 uh, as we get to our sermon. But I need, to, I need to set up right off the beginning that the first probably third or so of our sermon is going to look a little bit more at the Apostles' Creed in general. It's going to look at what, when it came about, what was it for, and how did it help early Christians. And then once we unpack that, we're gonna, I'm going to read the Apostles' Creed together. That some of you will have great familiarity with this. This is something that you learned early on. For me, I knew the Nicene Creed, which was a later version of it that had uh, more to it and it emphasized Jesus' deity um, a little bit like over the top because there was some question about that or there was some, some um, heresy at the time. So we're not going to go to the Nicene Creed, but the most basic one in the Apostles' Creed. So we're going to read that together. And then I'm going to spend the last part of our sermon looking at God as the Almighty Father, the creator of the heavens and earth, and what that looks like for us. So as a quick introduction to the Apostles' Creed, this is a creed that was put together by the mid-2nd uh, century. So this is something that has been around for for almost since the very beginning of Christendom. So from the 2nd century, we have... Um, access to this, that we have acknowledgement that this was part of the early church. So this is not something that was written a thousand years later. This is not something that was put so far later that it could have been changed and manipulated through different things. This is from the very beginning, within a hundred years of Jesus's birth, the ones that they were able to share what it was that the Christians believed. One of the reasons that it was used was for, during baptism, for a confession of faith. That it was saying, like we say, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you accept him as your Lord and Savior? That's what I often use when I'm baptizing someone. And this is something where, you know, when the Joining God's Family class, our children's ministry does a great job with Mary being able to lead through what does it mean to be baptized? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to understand who Jesus is and introducing that to kids when they're interested in baptism? But it's this idea that now, or back then, they would say, you, you would recite and you would believe the Apostles' Creed, and this would be the definition of faith that you would say, yes, I believe this, and I affirm this, and so when I'm getting baptized, this is what I know I'm going to believe and what I'm going to follow. In fact, uh, Matt Chandler puts it this one. He talks about how the importance of baptism and confession of our faith. He said, the lines of the Apostles' Creed the lines of the creed aren't mere words. They convey the essence of what we confess and believe as the body of Christ. They're the essence of it. It's the very, the, the very basics of it. And there's different denominations. There's different ideas and different ways that people have looked at it. But if you were to say, what is, you know, to use C.S. Uh, Lewis's idea of mere Christianity, if you were to boil it down to what Christians believe, then the Apostles' Creed sums it up very well. What are we for and what do we believe? The Apostles' Creed points that out. Now, Martin Luther sums it up this way, that Christian truth could not possibly be put into a shorter and clearer statement. So for hundreds of years, it's been acknowledged that the Apostles' Creed is something that is clear, that it is the essence of faith, and that it would be part of professing even when it came to baptism, that this is what the early church, the early Christians believed. And this is where we get our beliefs from as well. That we have the Holy Scripture, the Word of God, that illustrate these truths to us so we are aware. And then lastly, for our intro to the Apostles' Creed, it's the idea of one of the things it did was it combated heresy. Because there were so many times throughout 
Christendom, but early in the church, there'd be people who are believing one thing or another, that they would take the gospel and then they would start to manipulate or they would start to go off course. And so early Christians, the apostles, wanted to make it clear, this is what we stand for. This is what we believe. And if someone believes something different than that or different than this um, apostles' creed, that it becomes something where they're now, you know, they're, they're following something else. And the idea of the creed comes from the, the word credo, the Latin word, which means I believe. We see this in our, um, in our common language now. It's like if you have a witness who is credible, what does that mean? They're a believable witness. And the flip side is that we've started to use the word incredible to mean like amazing or awesome, but it literally means like that's unbelievable. Like that's so amazing, it's unbelievable. It's incredible. So the problem is, is that people will want to say what they want to believe, different things. And so we use the scripture, God's word, to determine what it is that is truth. And we believe this is living, that this is active, this is God-breathed, that this is useful for correction and teaching and encouragement, that we, we know how much we know about God through his word. And we mentioned last week that there are more ancient manuscripts of the Bible than there are of any other ancient document. And so we recognize that there's the veracity or the, or the truth of God's word is consistent throughout all time. And so one of the reasons the Apostles' Creed exists is to combat heresy. Now, because we all may have different ways of looking at um, faith, there are people who grew up in the faith and they, and they believe things and they've followed God and they know what the Apostles' Creed is or they believe it even if they don't have the words for it yet, that's awesome. That's wonderful, we love it. And then there's others who wanna make their own image of what they believe the, the Bible is actually saying. And they wanna create God, they, want, they don't wanna recognize that they're made in the image of God, they wanna create God in their image. So there's a famous uh, edit, if you will, of the Bible, which you can't even call it the Bible anymore, but uh, I don't, have, have any of you heard of the Jefferson Bible before? Have you heard of this, the Thomas Jefferson? Okay, so a couple. So the Jefferson Bible, we have a, a, um, just a cover of it here. Not the original one, but this one. So what Thomas Jefferson did is that Thomas Jefferson was a very, uh, he was a, a student or, or someone who followed the Enlightenment, was very rational in his belief. And so he would look at the New Testament, and there were some great teachings, some moral teachings that he looked at when it came to what Jesus said. And so he would he would kind of emphasize those moral teachings. But let's, let's keep it on the slide for a moment. Don't go to the next one yet. But the idea of what he would do then is that he would take a razor and he would go and he would look at, read throughout the New Testament, the Gospels of Jesus, and he would start to cut out passages and verses that did not match what he believed. So let's give a quick example. If I were to say, what are some of the things that for those of us who know Jesus' life, know the story of him in the Gospels. What are some things that he's done or that he did that you would look at and say, oh, this is one of the things you know best about him? Start, just start mentioning something. Feeding the 5,000. What, what was that? What was that? The Constitution. Okay, absolutely. What other, what other things? So feeding of the 5,000 was something that Jesus was really known for. What are some other things that Jesus did that he was really well known for? Healing, ascended, I heard. What else? Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the dead, wonderful. Anything else? Coming back from the dead, absolutely. Walking on water, I think I heard. Died on the cross for us, absolutely. See, 
All of these are incredible answers and probably only one or two of them are actually in the Jefferson Bible. You know why? Because he eliminated all miracles. He eliminated the resurrection. He took away things that took, or anything that pointed to Jesus as divine, he would take and he would use his razor, he would cut it out, and he would literally remove it. So there would be some miracles that might have a lesson in it. And if that were to happen, he would remove the miraculous and keep the moral teaching. So here's an example, just one page of the Bible where you can see it just literally sections are cut out. And then what he would do is he would cut those out and then he put them in his own, his own journal. Again, you can't even call it a Bible like the Holy Bible. It's, he would take things out. And so it basically ended, um, it basically starts before there are any angels talking about Jesus' birth. So it, and it starts after that. And then it ends in John 19 when Jesus was laid in the tomb and that's the end of it. So you can't look at that and say, oh yeah, that's, that's the story of Jesus. It's, it's cutting out and pasting what he wanted to believe about Jesus because he had a different faith system. He was more rational, didn't believe these, these truths about who Jesus is and what he did. So he said, well, a rational person can't believe that. So let me cut things out and make the Bible in my image what I want. So the Apostles' Creed, part of why it's there, obviously this happened over a thousand years, 1,500, 1,800 years before Thomas Jefferson. But the point is, we all can have our tendencies to pick and choose things in the Bible that we like best. And people early on could have picked and chosen different things that they liked about Jesus' teachings and then ignored things that they maybe weren't as big of a fan of. So the Apostles' Creed from the mid-2nd century was used at baptisms to say, this is the confession of our faith. It could not be put in shorter or more clear terms, as uh, Martin Luther said. And then it came to combat heresy so that people, when they were laying down their lives for being persecuted for their faith in Jesus, in order for them to know exactly what they were laying down their lives for and who they were laying down their lives for, they combated heresy so that it wasn't people making God into their image, but recognizing we are in the image of God. So what I want to do right now is on the screen, I'm going to read the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we're going to read it out loud, and then I'm going to focus in on our part of the sermon where we emphasize the first section of who God is. So the Apostles' Creed, I'm going to read it all the way through, um, and you can just follow along, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Apostles' Creed says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now we're going to unpack several of those over the next several weeks. But this is, a, this is the phrasing and this is the creed that had been going on for, over, you know, for 2,000 years almost. And so today... What I want us to emphasize or focus in on, instead of looking at all those things and wondering about it, let's focus in on God as Father. So the emphasis today is God as Father. And so what it says in the very beginning is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven 
and earth. That when we refer to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we recognize that there are three beings in one, and we'll talk about the Trinity a little bit more in a couple of weeks, but acknowledging that just even as the songs that we send, that our God is three in one, Father, Spirit, Son. But we start off with believing in God, the Father Almighty. And I think it's, I think it's important for us that the early church fathers, the apostles in the very beginning, when they would have talked about who God is, yes, he's creator. And that's what we see in the very beginning of the Bible is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that is who he is. That's what he did. But when the apostles were to say, who is it that has, or what is it that God has done that has shaped our identity or who is God to us? He's first and foremost father. He's father almighty. And yes, he created and we believe that. But he was father. That's the relationship he wants with his kids. That George MacDonald uh, talked before. He's, a, he's an author, uh, wrote a lot of short stories. Um, C.S. Lewis liked him a lot. So he's, he's from about 100 years ago, not quite. But he would write stories and he taught, write a lot of stories about princesses and princes. And someone asked him one time, you know, why is it that you, you write so many stories about princesses? And he says, well, he responds to the person asking, said, well, what is a princess? Like, by definition, what is it? He says, well, she's a daughter of the king. And so George MacDonald responds by saying, well, therefore, every person who's ever existed is either a prince or a princess because we are all sons and daughters of a king. And so these stories of princes and princesses, they, they connect with us, not because, oh, you know, we think of like a, a Disney princess or a princess as in, you know, everything's prim and proper and perfect. No, no, the idea is that we are all sons and daughters of a king, that he is our father almighty. Not a weak father, not a distant father, a mighty father who creates. But let's unpack, why can it be? Let's list a couple of things. Why it might be hard for us, why it might be tough to view God as our father. Because some of us, um, we, we hear this and automatically, the, the word for, I mean, father is a word that is loaded and difficult for us. Why? Well, for some of us, we have wounds from our earthly father. We have wounds from our earthly father on the screen. The idea that we think of, when we think God as father, our only experience of father is someone who, Maybe it wasn't present. Maybe it's someone who left before we were born. Maybe it was someone that we have just a lot of sad memories about. Maybe father is someone who hurt us emotionally through his words. That the one that we look to to fill us up and to give us life ended up tearing us down and helping us to, causing us to feel less than. Some of us father wasn't in our life at all. Some of us, Father, has hurt us, not just emotionally, yes, but also physically. We have wounds from the word Father, and so we might say, I believe God is good, I believe he's a creator, but it's really hard for me to see him as Father, because Father has been a word that has been damaged for me because of my history and my story. That one of the things that always... Um, that I'm always trying to be aware of, and it's usually half a second too late. Parents, maybe you understand what I'm saying here, where you wanna be, I, I want my girls 
to think positively of God as father because they hopefully had a father who tried to pursue and follow him and live out what it means to follow God. But I know those times when I'm frustrated or I'm tired or I'm impatient and it's like you could feel, you know the words you're about to say are gonna not be encouraging and yet they already come out and then you have to kind of, then you have to apologize and walk them back. It's like we know that we don't want to wound our kids, that we don't want to hurt them, we don't want to make them feel sad or less than, and yet my sinful nature, our sinful nature means that there are times when we fall woefully short of living up to the name father, or for moms, mother, in a way that is God as a parent and honoring him. That it's an honor to be able to be called the same name as God in regards to father. And I shared last week that one of the things that I realized when that's become more of my identity is when someone calls you by name and you wake up from sleep and I wake up when my girls call dad dad because that's part of who I am now. But we have wounds, many of us, from our earthly father, even dads who were great, even dads who loved the Lord and did their best, we could still feel woundedness and brokenness and, and sadness that maybe it wasn't what we had hoped for. So this isn't bash on dad's day. This is acknowledging that all of us, we fall short as parents, and all of us may have some wound or another when it comes to the idea of father. So we think of our earthly father, but let's look at what Psalm 103 talks about when it says some of the, some of the descriptors of the, who the Lord is. And we're going to see that the psalm refers to, refers to God as Father, but here's how it starts off of some of the qualities of who God is, starting in verse 8. So the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. I would, I would love for my girls to be able to say, you know, my dad, he was compassionate, and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And there are days maybe when I'm closer to that ideal than others. But looking at who God is, God is not the image of our father that wounded us. Our earthly fathers and, and us as parents, we are but glimpses, but shadows, but, but glimpses of who God as father is. And the fatherlessness that our culture, that our generations, that our world is experiencing goes beyond not having dads in the home, which is painful enough. But it's showing that we are all looking for a father, for someone to pour into us, to speak life into us, to see the best out of us and to call us into that, to be patient with us as we make mistakes, to be compassionate with us when we fall short, to be slow to anger rather than have a quick trigger to being angry, and to be able to recognize that they're abounding in love rather than abounding in um, correction or things that maybe hurt us. And so George MacDonald, who I referred to earlier, he says it this way, the hardest, gladdest thing in the world is to cry father from a full heart. The refusal to look up to God as our father is the one central wrong in the whole human affair, the inability, the one central misery. See, we are all sons and daughters of the king, of the creator, of the one who breathes life into you. And so 
when we have a gap in our wounds from having either not a great father, an absent father, a hurtful father, or whatever, even a good father that isn't perfect, that ache that we have for someone to pour into us, to be compassionate, to be gracious, to be abounding in love, to be um, slow to anger, that aches for us. And when we try to go to other people or other things to turn to, to be the fathers in our lives, we fail to realize that it's the central misery is failing to see God as our father to extend grace to our earthly fathers or forgiveness in order to say, I know there are some awful things, but we don't use our earthly dads to besmirch the image of our heavenly father. We follow our heavenly father and allows us to have grace for our earthly dads or forgiveness or whatever it is. Now, I know I don't know your stories with your dads. I'm not trying to paint it with a broad brush and say, oh, well, just, you know, it's really easy. I'm acknowledging that before we move on, we have wounds. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing that's good about ignoring a wound. So let's acknowledge that. But let's also acknowledge that the salve for that wound is not trying to find any other father to replace it here on earth. It's to find God as our heavenly father who will never let us down, who's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Another reason why it can be hard for us to acknowledge God as Father is that we see God as harsh and angry. That I remember growing up, I felt like I would, I would pray and I was trying to think about all the bad things I did and I would just want to confess those things and I just felt like God was, this, was so distant and, and so far and angry at all the sin and he was harsh. And so is God holy? Is there justice that needs to be done when they're saying yes? That's why the cross is so beautiful, that Jesus took the punishment that was meant for us and he took our place. But if we look at God and we think of God as a harsh father or a distant father rather than an almighty and loving father, then it creates in us this dynamic where we just want to please him and keep him at arm's length rather than love him and let him love us. We continue on in Psalm 103, verse 9 says, He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. He will not harbor his anger forever. That there's two things in there. One, when we sin, like that does create anger, right? Like that shows us that our sin is important. It's real and it breaks a relationship. It can be something as small, something that we think is small or something that's huge, but because God is holy and he is righteous, there does need to be a payment for our sins. But he does not treat us as our sins deserve. That it's Jesus who was, knew no sin, became sins that we might have the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. It's nothing we can do or earn. But it's the acknowledgement that God is not some cosmic, like, guy playing whack-a-mole that every time we pop up, he's just trying to hit us on the head. God is not some cosmic judge that just, I mean, he is a judge, but he's not someone just looking for all the reasons to, to go after us. He looks at them all, 
But then thanks to Jesus, that, that penalty has already been paid. See, if we think that God is harsh and always angry, then we will never let him into our hearts and we will never be able to receive our identity as sons and daughters of the king. We'll keep him at arm's length and in so doing, miss out on the embrace of his arms. So we can struggle because we have wounds from our father and our past. We can struggle because we have, we think of God as harsh and angry, but he's not angry forever. He's not looking for reasons to destroy us. And then third, we may think that God is an impersonal creator rather than a personal father. We think of him as impersonal. Someone that is just, this is what many people believe, like, oh, I believe that there is a God and he kind of created everything, but he's not involved in our daily lives. He's not in the midst of us. He doesn't understand what I'm going through. He's not there for me, but he created me. Much in the same way that many of us might feel about how if we have a, a, a father who was absent, an earthly father, it's, I came from him, but I haven't seen him or heard from him or have a relationship with him. And we equate that to God. Verse 11 says this in Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, God is not impersonal and distant. The only signal or the only sign of distance in this passage is where we are and how much higher his love is for us. As high as the heavens are above the earth. The only distance we see is the distance between us and our sins that as far as the east is from the west. And the only way that that distance can be bridged is because Jesus is the one who came down and bridged that gap for us. And so recognize that he is not, he, he's not some impersonal creator who just let things go. Yes, the fact that he holds the universe in the palm of his hand shows he's far big and magnificent and great. And as we saw in the promo for VBS, more monumental than we can imagine. And yet the fact that Jesus came down and the fact that God the Father invites us to be sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ shows us that he's not impersonal. He cares about your wounds and your heartaches. He sees the cries of your heart. He doesn't, he's not impersonal who doesn't care. He created and just let things go. He's there and he always has been. Whether we've seen it and we acknowledge, maybe we look back and see that's how God has been with us. That's how God has been with me. But he's not impersonal. He's closer than you think. Continuing on in verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. See, as we've just been describing in Psalm 103, the different things about God, compassionate, generous, or gracious, excuse me, slow to anger, abounding in love. The way that the psalmist, the way that he describes David, he's, he describes, how can I sum this up? He says, in the same way that a father has compassion on his children. 
that it's God as Father in the Old Testament, just recognizing that that was the best way for David to describe the kind of compassion and love God has for us. Now, in the Jewish culture, it would have been odd and rare for them to call, to pray to God as a father. But this shows us, this passage shows us that father has always been his heart. Who God is, is a father. He's a father who's created us. He's not a creator that decided later on to be a father. So when I was thinking about that last part, it's, uh, I don't know if you guys know that coming up, I think later this year or next year, soon, uh, Tom Hanks is going to be uh, Geppetto in Pinocchio. And Pinocchio is uh, a movie that, like, I haven't seen it in a long time, to be honest with you, but um, it's one of those Disney movies that I'm, like, not totally sure that I want, like, Pinocchio with, like, donkey ears to be, like, the vision of, like, my girls right before they go to bed, right? Like, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little off. But Geppetto, if you know the story, and we have a picture right here, of Geppetto is, cre he creates Pinocchio. He, he puts him together, he makes him, and... Then there's this scene um, after he's made him, and he's, he's sitting in the corner. Geppetto goes to bed that night, and he asks Figaro, um, you know, his cat, to go open up the window, which I wish I could train my dog to do things that are actually helpful. But he's like, open up the window. He sees a star, and it's like, oh, when you wish upon a star. And it's, you know, you know what I wish? I wish that my Pinocchio would be a real boy. He wishes that Pinocchio would be able to become alive. Now, we see throughout the story that you know, Pinocchio does become alive, but he's still, he's still wooden, but he has life. And so then he goes and he makes bad decisions and he gets into trouble. And we see this entire story of what ends up happening in Pinocchio's life and in Geppetto's life. But the thing with Geppetto is that you know, in, in the end, it, you know, spoiler alert, it's from 1940. So I don't feel like too bad giving a spoiler alert at this point, but you know, Pinocchio ends up becoming a real boy, and Geppetto gets to be a father. But as we stay on this image here, the idea is that Geppetto was a creator first, and then wanted to be a father. He created something and said, you know what, I, you know, now I, I wish that that was alive. But God is not that way. Yes, he's the creator, but he didn't create and then think, oh, you know what, now I want to be a father. That Father, the Lord Almighty, the Father Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, it points us to the fact that his heart has been Father. That in the Trinity, he's always been God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They're always all been there. And so from the very beginning in Genesis 1, when we see that the, the Spirit hovered above the formless void of the earth, and that in the beginning God created, and then we see in Colossians 1 how Jesus was the firstborn, the supreme of all creation, that it was in Jesus, and through him all things were made, we realize that the Trinity has been there from the beginning, so God has always been Father. And so he's a Father who created us and loves us. See, Geppetto... Geppetto makes something on his own and wants to give it life. But as we see on the next slide, God gives us life and wants to make us his own. God has breathed life into each and every one of you. And as hard as it can be for some of us to understand God as father, God sent his son Jesus so that through trusting in him, and we're going to talk about him next week, a lot more, 
But we have some hindrances that maybe make it hard to see God as Father. We have wounds. While Jesus took on wounds, and it's by his wounds we can be healed. That we might think that God is harsh and distant and angry, but we realize that it is God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we still earned and deserved wrath, he loved us so much he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And that we may think he's impersonal, but he's a personal father who wants to make you his. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for each person who hears my voice, each person who um, is part of our service together now. And Lord, I pray that as we talk about you as father, that Lord, if we have wounds to, the, to that name or that idea, Lord, I pray that you would bind our wounds as a compassionate Father, as one who is gracious to us, as one who is abounding in love, may your love fill in the cracks of the wounds of our heart and soul. And God, I pray that as many of us who are listening now have called upon you as Father, and it just reminds us of the importance that you are not a distant or a harsh Father, but you are a compassionate and caring and powerful Father. But also, Lord, there are some that may not have made that decision to see you as Father. There's so, much, so many wounds and heartaches that they haven't made that leap. And God, I pray that in this moment that they would hear and sense your presence of how you just let them know that they are loved because they are yours. We can't earn your love. There's nothing we can do to make you love us anymore. We can't lose your love because there's nothing we can do to make you love us any less. But your love is a gift, the kind of gift that comes from a creator, the kind of gift that comes from someone who's abounding in love, and the kind of gift that comes from a father. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.